Freedom is Christ is what we've been talking about all year on Sunday morning, looking at a number of ways that we are free in Christ. We've come to the last lesson in the series that we're working on now called Free from Fear, and we've been looking at a number of different fears. Uh, we've seen that as Christians, we may not really fear, or might not be the right word, and we looked at a list of other words that might be more applicable to us. Sometimes we worry or uh, have a little distress or apprehensive about something, and all of that rolls into this topic of uh, not fearing. God's most frequent command, many people have counted, supposedly, is fear not. God over and over tells his people uh, throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, and today, fear not. Paul explained that a little more in Philippians 4. He said, don't be anxious. He uses one of our other words there. Don't fear anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about things. And he goes on and explains, whatever your problem is, whatever you're worrying about, whatever you're scared of, uh, take it to God. Talk to him about it. Talk to him about it, and if you do, the peace of God, which transcends understanding, we don't know how it works, but the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. Fear, worry, anxiety upsets our heart and mind, keeps us uh, off balance and un- unhappy. Uh, God, Paul said, talk to God about it, His peace of, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. All right, today we've got to the topic of the fear of failure. We've talked about a number of different fears, uh, and we want to talk about the fear of failure today. Uh, Many of you, in fact, if you're over 40, you probably remember LBJ. Uh, He was vice president under Mr. Kennedy for a while and then became president when uh, John Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, Before that is an interesting story that I'd never heard before until I read it the other day. I thought it fit in pretty well. Uh, We know LBJ, those of you that are old enough, as the consummate politician. Uh, He started in politics in Texas, got into the U.S. House, into the Senate, became the Senate Majority Leader. Uh, But he had his eye on one address. 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue is where he wanted to be. Ever since he was a kid, that's where he said he was going. Uh, He was ambitious. Uh, He wasn't the nicest fellow in the world or the most scrupulous, but uh, he got things done. He outworked, outmaneuvered everybody that came in contact with him. And by 1958, it was his turn to be president, basically. Uh, The polls showed he was high in the polls. People respected him. Uh, The Republicans have been in office for eight years, and the Democrats thought it was their turn. And LBJ was the natural candidate. Uh, His planners got together in 1958 on how to make all this happen and started talking about how to get him into the White House. Uh, He really didn't have any competition. The only competition he had was a young guy named John Kennedy. Uh, It was kind of sickly and was really just a playboy living on his daddy's money. Uh, He didn't have any credentials or much to back him up. So LBJ pretty well had it, but the planners were confused. They couldn't figure it out because LBJ, with all this going for him, wouldn't quite take the step of saying, I'm going to run. He wouldn't announce that, yes, I want to be president. 
They talked to him. They tried to get him to do that. They tried everything. He wouldn't quite do it. And while he was frittering around not doing it, Kennedy was running around the country locking up all the delegates for the convention. So he eventually got the nomination. LBJ eventually did uh, declare, but he couldn't quite make that step. Uh, One of his main biographers said the reason he did that is because he feared failure. He feared more than anything else, more than anything he wanted. He feared that he'd end up like his daddy. His father was a very successful businessman, was in the Texas house, uh, owned the biggest house in town, bought the first car in town, even had a chauffeur for it. He was big time in Texas. And then when LBJ was a teen, all of that collapsed. The business failed. They lost the big house. They lost the big car. They lost everything. They lost the ranch. Johnson and his family had to move into a little bitty shanty house. They survived by people in town bringing them food to help them survive. The kids at school taunted him because he was so poor. And Johnson told them, I'm going to be president someday. They just laughed at him more. It was always his intention. It was always his plan. What he wanted to do was be president. But when the time came, he was traumatized. He couldn't do it. He was afraid of it. He, all he could think about was what if he lost the embarrassment and the humiliation and the disgrace that he had lived with. He feared failure. There's a word for extreme, unrational fear of failure, a tickophobia. And I doubt if LBJ had that because in all the rest of his life he blew along like everything was going to work fine. But when the ultimate case got there, he couldn't do it. Maybe he did have a little tickophobia. I doubt if anybody in here has a a tickophobia where your fear of any kind of failure. I mean, if you got it, you're afraid to try anything because you just know it's going to fail. I doubt if we've got that, but I'll bet we've got a spectrum of every kind of reaction to failure that there is. Uh, Anybody with more than one child in here knows that there's a spectrum of being afraid of failure. Uh, Some kids are not risk takers. Uh, They don't want to try anything. They they want to be absolutely sure that it's all right. They're afraid it might not go well. And they look at it and you say, it's okay, you can do that. I'm not going to do it. It wouldn't be prudent. I'm afraid. Uh, Some kids are like that. They're very cautious. Some kids, you say, jump in the pool to daddy, here they come, with or without daddy. Some kids, you say, jump in the pool to daddy, and they want to watch everybody else first to see if they live through it. If everybody else makes it, maybe they'll try it. Uh, Some just aren't risk takers. Some are overconfident. Uh, I don't know if you see this picture very well. But if you're at the back, this is a cat stalking a bald eagle. Uh, This will not end well (laughs) for the cat. 
but you got to give the cat credit, you know. Uh, he thinks he can do it. He's confident. He thinks this is possible. And, and some people are like that. Uh, Cindy and I had two boys. Uh, we didn't have either one at either of the extremes, but they were different. Uh, one was more willing to try things. It didn't worry so much about whether it failed or not. One of our sons, we had an old pickup that couldn't steer. It was hard as all get out to steer, and you couldn't shift it. And Oh, yeah, I mean, it was tough. And he came to me and said, teach me to drive a stick. I said, you sure you want to try that? Yeah. So we got in the old pickup and started around the block. And I came out of it with whiplash and <laughs> forehead bashed against the dash. I mean, he jerked and stopped and screeched and laid rubber. And I don't know how many times we killed it going around the block. But we got back and parked it. And I said, what do you think? He said, that went pretty good. Yeah, and there, there's people like that, and that's good. Uh, the reason it's good is if we're talking just earthly success, then risk-taking's basically mandatory. If we're just talking about earthly success, whether you're going to make it in this world, have a good job, have a good lot of money, do all the earthly things, uh, you've got to take some risks. Uh, Playing it real safe all the time it doesn't give you much payoff. You've got to try things when you don't really know if they're going to come out all right. Now, by the way, this is a bad picture of earthly success. There's not one decision where you go around on the right road or the wrong road. Uh, that's not the way it works. We sometimes think somebody is successful. Well, they made the right choice a long time ago, and they're successful. It's not that easy. In fact, it's probably more like this. Uh, success uh, really looks like something with a whole lot of exits, a whole lot of uh, off-ramps and on-ramps, and a lot of failures along the way. How many really rich folks you ever read about that went bankrupt a few times? A whole bunch of them. It's amazing how many failed a number of times before they had success. How many times Abraham Lincoln lose political races before he finally won one? Now, I don't know the answer, but it was a whole bunch. I remember that from history. Anybody know how many home runs Babe Ruth hit? Somebody in here knows that. How many home runs Babe Ruth hit? 714. That's right. He hit 714. Uh, some have passed him today with a little chemical help, maybe, but some of them have passed him. Uh, but 714 is an amazing number of home runs. It's an amazing accomplishment. Anybody in here know how many times he struck out? Twice as many. Struck out 1,330 times. Uh, because of that, now Babe Ruth has got some great, great quotes. I was looking at, I looked up the 1330 number to use the illustration. I started finding all these quotes, and, and they're custom made for a motivational seminar. I mean, if you want to talk about success and taking risks and, and making it in this world, Babe Ruth quotes are, quotes are great. Here's one I swing big, I swing with everything I've got. I hit big or I miss big. 
Okay? Uh, there's a guy that doesn't have a tickophobia. You know, he's willing to take a risk. He knows that's the key to success. In fact, here's another one. He said, every strike brings me closer to the next home run. That's a guy that's not afraid to take some risks. There's a guy that doesn't have fear of failure. The best one for today is, Babe Ruth said, never let the fear of striking out keep you from playing the game. That's what the fear of failure is. The fear of failure can keep you from ever taking that first step. It can keep you from doing what you ought to be doing. Now, with that quote, never let the fear of striking out keep you from playing the game, we got something we can talk about. Because you see, I'm not here to talk about earthly success. I'm not here to talk about positive thinking. That's what you want. Go home and watch Joel Osteen. He'll tell you some positive thinking. Okay? But, but we're looking at some spiritual things. How about spiritual success? Now, in, in one sense, this sign, narrow path, broad path, is kind of like success, failure. Uh, I'm not talking about this initial choice of whether you follow Christ or not. That's not our subject today. Uh, in fact, if you think about it, you better fear failure on this choice. You know, if you make a wrong choice here, that's an eternal thing. So you better choose the narrow path. But th- that's not our topic. Here's what I'm talking about. In the Christian walk, in our Christian life, in the ministries that we pursue, in the services that we take, take upon ourselves, Sometimes we're called to do something. Sometimes we, we feel like we ought to do something or, or try something or undertake something. Here's a couple of sample statements that see, you fill in the blanks for me. If you'd ever said, I know God wants me to do this or that, be more active in this ministry, or or participate in this, or start going to Sunday school class, or or get in a small group. I know God wants me to do that. But I... eh. Okay, you get the point? If you've ever said, I've been called to serve in, in this area, maybe somebody came and asked you. Uh, I've been called to serve as an elder. I've been called to serve as a deacon, as a ministry leader, as a teacher, as a, as a guide in safari. Uh, any deacon or ministry leader in here who asks people to do things knows what you hear a lot. When you go to somebody and say, I think you would be great in this ministry, and I'm asking you to serve there. Ministry leaders and deacons know what people say. If you've ever answered that question, you know what I'm talking about here this morning. Maybe it's, I need to overcome the sin of, I know this is in my life and I know it's wrong. I need to get it out of my life. I need to start on the journey that eliminates it. I need to do what everybody's told me I need to do to get rid of this sin. If any of those questions kind of 
sound true to you because your response to them has been, I don't know. I don't think I can. I'm no good at that. I'm afraid to start. If that's your kind of action, then that's what we're talking about today. Fear of failure in spiritual things. I know it's applicable in earthly things, but we're talking spiritual. To, to illustrate this, let's think about some of the big calls in the Bible. People who were serving God, and they were called to do something special. Who do you think about when I say that? Well, Moses pops into my mind. You know, uh, Moses was just being a good shepherd. And here's this flaming bush. He says, I got a job for you. Gideon pops into my mind. Here's old Gideon down threshing wheat, just taking care of business. And Angel says, I got a job for you. Those are some of the big calls in the Bible. And Isaiah got it, and Jeremiah got it, and Ezekiel got it, and Paul got one, and Matthew, and Peter, Paul, and James, and John got it while they were fishing. There's some big calls in the Bible. And the interesting thing about them is there is a consistent pattern. There's a process, it seems. Step one always seems to be an encounter with God in the routine of life. Folks are just doing what they do, just going along happy and contented, and they're in the routine of life, whether it's taking care of sheep, whether it's threshing the wheat, whether it's catching fish and mending the nets, whatever. And somebody comes along and says, I've got a mission for you. I've got a ministry for you. I've got a job for you. Well, today, that's not God's directly. It's not even an angel. It's usually a deacon or a ministry leader or an elder or somebody like that comes to you and says, I think you could do this. You ought to get involved in this ministry. Step number two in the Bible is always objections from the person being called. You remember that, don't you? Every person I mentioned went through this. Not me. I mean, they said that to God. They said that to angels. Not me. That's not, that's not the job for me. And they got to come up with excuses. Moses, I can't talk. Now, I can't talk. No way could I go talk to Pharaoh about that. Gideon. He said, man, I am from the weakest tribe. I'm from the weakest family in the weakest tribe. And I'm the loser in the family. Now, I can't do this job. I can't take on leading this country. Jeremiah said, I'm too young. Too young for this, God. The objections always come. And that's natural. Understand, I'm trying to tell you, they'll pop into your head. They, they want, they're the thing that starts that fear of failure. But hold on, because that's not the last step. Step three, always God or the angel comes back with a command to fear not. Fear not, have faith. That's what we've been talking about for this whole series, isn't it? Fear not, have faith. That sound familiar? Answer to every fear we've been through, it's the answer to the fear we're talking about today. All right, let's wrap this up with an example, a great example of 
this step three particularly, uh, Joshua. Now, Joshua's kind of unique because I couldn't find any place where he really objected, where he said, I can't do this. But he'd been in training for 40 years, and he was a very unique young man to start with. But he had been trained for 40 years. and uh, But when he took this new assignment that we read about in Deuteronomy before we started, to replace Moses, you know he had to have some trepidations about that. I mean, if, if you read the first chapter of Joshua, which we're going to read here in just a minute, if you right before that, if you go back and read the end of Deuteronomy, that'll scare you for Joshua. I mean, the end of Deuteronomy, the last paragraph is all about Moses and how wonderful he was, how nobody was like him, how special he was, and on and on. And God says, all right, Joshua, it's your turn. On the banks of the Jordan, I want you to step in and lead this people. Yeah. So what we're going to look at is what God told Joshua to keep him from being fearful. To keep him on the right track as he started this new job. Now, this is not just theoretical stuff, folks. You, some of you may have that ministry in your mind or that call that you've been wrestling with or that well, whatever correction you need to make in your life and you're afraid to try it. You may have figured that out already. But for the rest of you, this is just in theory. This, this is good for anybody in this room that's interested in growing spiritually and serving God. The instructions that God gives Joshua are good for our eight elders. Elders have to make decisions without an angel telling them this is the way. They have to weigh everything. They have to pray. They have to ask for God's guidance. They have to look for signs everywhere they can find a sign. And nobody's going to tell them this is the exact right path. No guarantees, but they still got to make that call. Joshua 1 is some good instruction for elders. Joshua 1 is good instruction for kids going back to school. First year in college, first year in middle school, first year in high school, whatever. Joshua 1 is good stuff to read. Yeah. Joshua 1 is good stuff for a prayer pal, somebody that's never been a prayer pal before, that's afraid they won't be a good prayer pal. Go get one of the orange cards, sign up, read Joshua 1, and you're ready to go. Joshua 1's good stuff. Joshua 1 is good stuff for a youth minister who thinks he wants to be a pulpit minister someday. Joshua 1 is good for an old minister that doesn't know for sure what he can do out of the pulpit. Joshua 1 is good stuff. Let's start in verse 3. Verse 1 says, after the death of Moses, here's what God said. God said, I want you to go into the Jordan. I want you to take the people in there, cross the Jordan, and every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. He has gone before you. Write that out to the side. If you underline verse 3 there, the part that I got on your handout, if you are an underliner and a note taker, and write out beside it, he has gone before you. 
any of those situations I talked about, if God's calling you to do this, if this is a ministry that you ought to be in, God's gone before you. Verse 5, he says, just as I promised Moses, and he talks a lot about that. And then he says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. You've got divine help. Write that down. Whatever you're wrestling with, whatever you're afraid to try, God's gone before you, and he's not going to leave you. You have divine help. Underline verse 5 and write that out beside it. Verse 7. Only be strong and courageous. He tells Joshua, yeah, you've got to have courage. You've got to be brave, but we can do this. Well, we're going to do it. I've gone before you. I'm not going to leave you. You be courageous, and we'll get it done. More of verse 7. You be strong and courageous, but you be careful to do according to all the law. You obey the word. As you start this journey, whatever it is, as you start this new ministry, as you tackle this sin, whatever you're doing, you know that God's gone before you, that you've got divine help and you've got to be courageous, but you obey the word on the way. You be careful to do according to all the law, in fact. Still in verse 7, look what he says next. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. You stay in that word, you stay on track. You obey the word, you stay on track. If it says it, you don't go to the right or the left. You stay right on it. And you're going to be successful. Verse 8, look at this. He ramps it up a notch. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. He says, Joshua, you talk about the word. You meditate on it. You tell yourself, here's what the word says for me to do. You tell other people, here's why I'm doing this. Don't let it depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Stay in the book. Obey it. Don't turn to the right or the left. Stay in there. Verse 9. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He's here. He's there wherever you're going. Wherever this path takes, not only has he already been there, he's there with you right now. Biblical calls end with one thing, success. They start with an encounter with God and the routine of life. The person always objects, I can't do this for some reason. God always tells them, you fear not and you have faith. And when they agree to all of that, they always have success. Look at verse 8 in our passage. We skipped over it a little bit. After all these things that God's told Joshua, he says, For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I don't know what you're afraid of this morning. I don't know what path you're afraid to start on. 
on what you're afraid to tackle. I don't know what you've been asked to do. I don't know what God has put on your heart that you need to do. But if you're afraid of it, read Joshua 1. Now, let me just give you a little tip. I said calls always end with success. Here, one more to put in your package. At the end of Joshua's life, this is Joshua twenty three fourteen. At the end of his life, listen to what Joshua said. Now I am about to go the way of all the earth. I'm ready to die. And you know with all your heart and soul that not one of the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. At the end of his life, he could say that. People, you know it. If God said it, if he promised it, it's come true. Yeah. You think Joshua ever went back and looked at those words that he heard in Joshua 1? Because Joshua had some hard times. Think he ever pulled those words out that God spoke to him on the banks there in Joshua 1? What's in there? What have we seen? Let's recap here. Joshua 1, he has gone before you. Whatever your task is, whatever you're going to tackle, he's gone before you. You have divine help. Not, not just family and friends and the family here at Northside, although that's a big help. You've got divine help. You've got to have courage. You've got to obey the word. You stay on track. You stay in the book, and you know that he's there with you. Verse 8 says, you do all that, you will succeed. You will succeed. And at the end of your life, you can be like Joshua and say, you never saw it fail. Everything I tackled, every ministry I went to, every sin I tried to get out, if I followed that pattern, he kept his promise. It works. Freedom from fear. No reason to fear. We have this kind of faith. Well, we're done with this series. Free from Fear started out as kind of an unknown, and I think we've picked a number of good things that'll that'll help us. Uh, are there more to tackle? Oh, yeah. Uh, Cindy gave me one or two last night. She said, I don't know if you got this in the series, but you ought to talk about this. Well, <laughs> series can only go so long. We're going to tackle something else next, but uh, there's plenty of things we fear, and hopefully you've got the answer, though, to whatever fear it might be. Faith. Faith is the answer. The lesson is yours. The series is yours. I hope it was helpful. If you're here this morning and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we'd be uh, thrilled to help you put Christ on in baptism. If you have some uh, family matter or prayer that you need from this family, we'd be happy to pray with you. The elders will be at the front to receive you. Come if you need to. Stand and